Thanks for staying tuned in to Sundays with Cindy to catch another episode of Pink Noise. I am your host, Sherry Hauser. Harmony, so happy to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining me for this conversation. It's an honor, Sherry. I'm happy to be here. One of the reasons why I brought you on the show today is, you know, I like to make a ruckus about people who are living their life on fire with a drive and a focus. And I've watched you over the years that we've been friends make so many pivots. And something that I find remarkable about you is your self-assuredness. There seems to be this remarkable confidence that you bring to every endeavor. Even when you took a, a career pause, it was so intentional and you mapped it out and you had a game plan for every phase. And I, I wanna know more about what it takes to identify, and, and we're mostly talking about your professional life here, just to clarify for our listeners. It's as if you've had like half a dozen career tracks and you're still in the first half of your life. <laughs> well, I, I decided, I decided quite early on, um, in a, in a, in a somewhat dramatic way to, to follow graphic design. And it, and it was a trip to the library when I was 16, cross-referencing art and money because I was raised by a single mom and we were always poor. Um, and yet I was an artist and I didn't want to be a starving artist. And being a practical person, I found a book on careers and cross-referenced art and money and found art director and went to New York City because that's where advertising happens. And so I, I've always been a make a plan, make it happen person. I think my mom raised me to believe that anything I wanted in life could be mine if I went after it, that there really were no limits. And if I believed something was possible, it would come to me. And I think that early foundation uh, made a big difference in everything I've done because there's sort of an internal confidence that I can manifest whatever reality. And putting that to the test early on, being, being a poor kid from a tropical island and going to New York City um, and getting to go to a world-class college and starting in advertising before I just barely finishing my freshman year, I got an internship and started working in the ad business and just made it, I made it happen. Um, and I was there until uh, September 11th. And moments like that, moments of crisis uh, can really make you reconsider where you're at. It kind of snaps you out of whatever routine you're in of the day to day and can really make you realize that, hey, I'm, I'm actually unhappy. You can say, oh, well, I've been muddling through or I've been numbing or whatever might be happening, but you start to evaluate, okay, something's not right here. And it took September 11th for that, for me to make that happen. And I, I said, okay, I just have to leave. I have to, I have to do something different. Um, I had a friend who helped me make a financial plan to quit my job. She said, oh, don't just quit right now. Give yourself six months, save up some money, pay off your credit card bills. And, and, I, and I left six months later and left New York City without, I left my boyfriend at the time behind. I said, hey, I have to leave. I don't like the person I'm becoming. I don't think you will either. And if you want to follow me, you can, but I just have to go. And I had a thought that maybe I was moving to Seattle, but I wasn't quite sure. Um, and I went to Maui where my mom was and helped her pack up her stuff because she'd sold her house. And together we transitioned to Seattle. Um, so I was in Seattle and I just had no idea. I was, I was like, okay, I just know I need to be in Seattle and I don't know what it is that I'm doing here, <laughs> but I, that's where I needed to be. And because it was sort of a mix of who I was in terms of urban 
and natural beauty. Um, and so I had a friend who was uh, in the nonprofit community and it was the middle of the recession. It was 2002, there were no jobs. And she said, I have a lot, I'm, I'm in this nonprofit program and there's a lot of people who need design help. Um, a lot of nonprofits who need design help. And so I said, oh, well, this is a perfect synergy. So I decided to create Mission Creative and I ran a small nonprofit out of, a nonprofit design firm out of the top of the Paramount. So that pivot, since we were talking about pivots, focusing on that, it was really about needing to change my place of where I was. I felt empty. I felt like New York was no longer serving me. I wasn't taking advantage of the culture or the nightlife or anything. I was just going to and from this job um, and sitting in my apartment most of the time. So it, it became very clear that I needed to change. And um, Chris just started from scratch completely in, in Seattle. Um, the, the highlight of the story is that my boyfriend followed me here and we've been married for 16 years now. So <laughs> we created that life in Seattle. Um, and my career developed in Seattle over time. I mean, I think the switch, you mentioned the switch to working for design firms in Seattle, corporate design firms that, that happened pretty organically, just developing my network and, and someone offering me a, a position. And I think until the next recession, I, I didn't, wasn't really forced to like truly pivot. Um, and I got laid off in 2009 and along with probably a lot of the listeners. <laughs> Um, it was a rough time and, and it was again, one of those realizations, like instead of crying when I, like when Tom came to pick me up, I was laughing hysterically <laughs> because I, again, I realized, oh my God, I was so unhappy. Why didn't I leave sooner almost? And it was this incredible time to decide to, to pivot, you know? Um, and then I ended up back in the nonprofit world and the next pivot was, uh, my daughter was in daycare 40 hours a week. I had been at the nonprofit for three years and the quality of my, the quality of my life, I wasn't getting as much out of the nonprofit, like as, as I did in the beginning, I'd made all the improvements and all the change that I felt I could do and I was on maintenance mode. And then I was looking at my daughter, my three-year-old in daycare, 40 hours a week, commuting with me to and from, falling asleep in the car on our 45 minute commute that should have been 15 minutes. And I, I thought to myself, well, the sacrifice isn't worth it. I need to make a change. And that this particular pivot is my favorite to talk about. And you may remember this as being the hundred days or more <laughs> time. Um, the hundred days or more came out of, uh, I was very active in the Twitter nonprofit community at the time. So I had a lot of blogger friends and Twitter friends and social media sharers. And I talked about the fact that I was quitting my job and that I wanted to take some time off. And they said, well, you shouldn't waste it. You should blog about it. <laughs> And, and I thought, well, if I'm gonna blog about it, I should be very intentional about what that's all about. And I thought about my husband who had had multiple Microsoft contracts where they had the forced 100 day breaks in between contracts. Um, and I thought, well, let's call this my 100 day break. I never got to have one of those. And he always had such a good time on his 100 day breaks and our lives always improved while he was doing that. Um, and so I thought this is my turn to have the 100 day break. And you can still access the blog, um, 100daysormore.com. And um, 
I wrote a post every single day and I divided it up into three sections. The first section was recovery. And this is really, really important because working 40 hours a week with a three-year-old is no joke. Two parents working with a kid in daycare is exhausting. It's hard on your body. It's hard on your emotional state. You don't sleep much. Um, and I needed to simply give myself the time and space. I really wasn't even a lot, 30 days to physically and emotionally recover from the strain of, of three years of that, of raising a small child and working. And I talked about that physical transformation of just kind of decompressing from all of that. Then the next 30 days uh, was archiving. And this is probably most related to the work I'm doing now um, and was a really interesting part of the process. I, when you're really busy, you don't have time or energy to do a lot of cleaning or decluttering. You just kind of shove things places and get on with the, the most important tasks, right? And so I took, now that I had this extra time, I took the time to then look at all my things. But I looked at it with not the perspective of like, oh gosh, look at all this junk. I looked at it with the perspective is what does all this stuff say about who I am? And one of the posts that pops into mind in particular was the post about books. I think books uh, are very emotional for a lot of people. Um, you look at them and each one you bought for a reason because it spoke to you in some way. And the ones you keep are the ones that you feel kind of define who you are. So I had lots of design books, obviously, as a career, as a designer. Um, there were self-help books. Um, there were books that, there were two copies of a book that Tom and I both had in our book collections. And when we merged it, we thought it was cute. So we kept both. I've recently met another couple who kept, had a, two books for the same reason. Uh, we, our books tell stories in that way. Um, and so I, I went through the books and got rid of the ones that I didn't think I wanted to define me going forward. I said, okay, these are the books that feel like they're the old me. These are the books that I want to, to, to go with me going forward. And I want to leave empty space for new hobbies, new interests, new explorations explorations and I did that with a lot of different things in my house so that was archiving and then the third phase the last 30 days was experimentation so you've opened up all this space in your house and for new things so it's time to try some new things um, and so whether that's like uh, a new type of exercise or a new networking group. Um, I think maybe I picked up knitting or I'm not sure if I did that beforehand, um, but you get the point. Um, and then also like, I was looking at ways that like my family handled money. Um, there were all sorts of issues that came up being sort of the woman at home during that time period. Um, and then the most pivotal post, the one that changed everything, was I wrote about what I wanted in the future is the opposite of what I didn't want from before. So I made a list of everything that I didn't want from my past job, whether it was the roaches that skittered across my desk because I was in a nonprofit or the, um, the tedious tasks, particular tedious tasks, uh, the commute, various things. Um, and I flipped those things and I said them in the positive terms. So I want a beautiful office space that I can go to whenever I want to go there. I want to work 12 hours a week instead of 40. I want to work with uh, 
you know, clients who are doing X, Y, Z. And within hours, someone in my social network popped up and said, I read your post. I think I can meet your requirements. Would you like to work for me? <laughs> and for the next three years, I had 12 hour a week employment. And he had an office with a view of South Lake Union that I could go to whenever I felt like it, or I could work from home. So Melody would go to preschool for three hours in the morning and I would work and then I would pick her up and we'd spend the afternoon together. And um, I feel like if I hadn't gone through that process, I may have just looked for another 40 hour week job or been scared about what kind of job I could find or maybe not found a job because it was another recession. So what I'm hearing you say is you made a list of the things that you didn't want from your past jobs. And after making that list, you said, what's the opposite of that? So if I don't want roaches crawling across my desk, what do I want? Oh, I want a nice office. If I don't want to work 40 hours a week or more, how many hours do I want? That process sounds really rich. I mean, look what it brought you to. You were able to say the positive things of what you want. It's almost like the law of attraction, right? Rather than complaining or focusing on the negative, you use that as a, hmm, a barometer for what, for what you want to attract. And then boom, how many days later you get a call and you get a job offer and three years into it, it was the exact experience that you wanted. Like you manifested the job. And, I, and again, I think that goes back to kind of what my mom taught me, but it can be really hard to just kind of imagine what you want, right? Yeah. I think that if, if you do need to focus on the negative, just let it out, you know, make a list. Like sometimes you just got to let it go of like what was so traumatic and so painful about your previous job or your previous identity or whatever it might be or relationship. Just write it all down. And, and then you can envision, you can flip it on its head. But I think just coming up from the sky, like blue sky, what it is you want can be very intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. I've spent some time around this concept of being able to speak your desires and ask for what you want. And it came up with, uh, in fact, the woman uh, that I just interviewed on the show uh, last week, Rose, uh, she said one of her favorite things in her coaching work is when people give her a list of what they want, what they desire. Great. And I did a desire log all of September. Every single day I woke up and the first thing I did was journal what I want, what I desire every day for 30 days to see where I could go with it, what I could come up with. It's hard. But I now look at longing as a celebration. I've talked about that before. Because as soon as you can identify what you want, then you just make a plan to go for it the way your mom taught you. So I thought I had a handle on this. And now I'm reading this book. It's a, it's a book by Susan Campbell. It's been around for, for decades called Getting Real. Some folks in the authentic relating community consider it a bit of a Bible. And there's a section on being specific about what you want. And there was a self-assessment quiz at the end of the chapter. And when I did it, I realized how far I still have to go. It can, it, it's very important to be specific, especially if you're going to put it out there in the world. And I think that was also what my mom taught me is if you want something, speak it. That if you just lock it, you know, if you want something and you lock it away in your diary and you don't tell anybody, then how's it going to come to you? And I think that was what was important about that whole blogging experience is that I put it out there, what I wanted, and someone was able to step up and, and give that to me. Mm. Um, and I think by being specific, it matched with what he needed. Because he yes. wasn't being just generous. He, he wasn't like, oh, I need to help out harmony. It was, oh, look at this person who needs all the things that I need them to be. I only need someone 12 hours a week 
and I have this empty office space that I barely use. You know, it was it was really almost like a matching um, exercise in a way. But if I hadn't been specific about, if I had just said I need a job and I want an office space, but I hadn't said how many hours a week, he might have thought I needed something different and not reached out. Yeah. And hearing you say this, it's reminding me of times in our friendship when you've been really specific about what you want, like even for me and time that we spend together and, and time with your daughter. And I, I remember like in the specific way in which you've, you reveal yourself, I know, I know how to meet you. It's, it's really clear. It's almost, it's make, it's one of the practices of making the implicit explicit. And it seems to uh, be a really critical pattern for you that you, that you've identified this need, this ability to be specific about what you want and not afraid to speak, to ask for it. That's interesting. I, I feel like over time I've had to practice, obviously communication is hard. And I think just with practice and maturity, uh, I've gotten better at articulating myself. Yeah. And I think also the more intimate a friendship can be. I mean, we've been friends for 20 years, (laughs) I think, (laughs) uh, the more, the more able I am to, to speak those truths, I guess. I'm wondering about like what else you can say on this, on this process of you can identify what you don't want and then flipping it. Like, I feel like that might be a key for people who don't know how to pull out of the sky. What kind of relationship do I want? What kind of job do I want? Where do I want to live? It is sometimes easier to come up with what we don't want mm-hmm. to make that sort of list of complaints. I, I, I guess I did something similar. Um, this is making me think of the story of the list I made uh, after sort of serial dating in my twenties. Um, the list I made just prior to meeting and dating Tom, my husband. Um, I, I was frustrated with the men, the three month relationships that I was ending up in. And I said, well, I better make a list of what I want in a man. (laughs) This is a trend with me. I like lists. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, uh, 18 things. There's a lot. And one of them, uh, one of them was punctual. Unfortunately, he did, he, he still fails to meet that one requirement, but everything else because that's the one I remember, right? Is the one he failed to meet, but, um, everything else he met. Um, and it came out of frustration and came out of pain and failure and heartbreak and dissatisfaction. You know, I decided I wanted someone who was ambitious because I didn't want to date someone who just was okay with, you know, not having a job and, you know, being kind of a freeloader around the East Village in New York City. I, I wanted someone who was cultured and liked museums and movies, not who hated movies and fell asleep in them, you know. And, and so all those things were kind of like little, little things that dissatisfied me from various relationships. And you paid attention. I suppose so, yes. And you decided that you wanted something different. Yes. And I, again, you visualizing that. And I, I didn't need to like that one. I didn't tell the world that one. I just stuffed away in a journal and, and I found it six months into dating Tom and was pretty shocked at how well he met those requirements. So I think it that was more of a organizing your own brain and your subconscious or something even more magical. Who knows? Hmm. Just yesterday, I found this note that I wrote myself when I wanted to manifest the kind of relationship I was looking for. And it was pretty simple. It was two sentences. So it wasn't a list of 18 things. But I folded it up and I put it under this rose quartz crystal that I'd been given. 
So I folded up this note, this little love note to my future person. And I put it under the rock and I, I would sometimes hold the rock next to my heart and just imagine the person and how, how it would feel, how good it would feel to be in that kind of relationship. And uh, when I found the note after I'd met Kevin and I shared the note with him, it was just a really sweet moment of seeing him in this note. And the way I feel when I'm with him is exactly how I imagine the feeling could be before I ever knew that a love like that was possible. That's really wonderful. I'm glad you did that. Yeah. And to share that with them. I'm, I kick myself that I can't find my list. Um, I don't know what I did with it, but um, I think doing, why not do the process, right? Like whether, whether you believe in whether manifestation is a thing or that kind of, if you're doubtful of it, why not take the time to do the exercise and to write it out? I think it's such a powerful way of organizing your brain and, and discovering things about yourself. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, you know, the regular journaling and writing. It's the way I sort of self self therapize. Mm -hmm. That was a hard one to say. And, and maybe other people have different processes, but it, it would, it would seem, it would seem foolish to me to not go through the process of writing out what you want. Well, and isn't writing one of your, one of your upcoming career pivots? I mean, that you've already made, like in the story as we journal, how Harmony has pivoted her life <laughs> and changed so many times. I mean, indeed, indeed, writing has always been a part of it. Um, yeah. Always been there with me. Um, and since I was uh, 11 years old, I participated in National Novel Writing Month at one point and had a draft of a book. In 2019, I was reaching that point of job dissatisfaction. And I was starting to feel like maybe the entire company wasn't the right place for me anymore. What are the markers? How do you gauge that? What, what's happening for you in your life or in your body that you can identify, oh, this looks or tastes like job dissatisfaction? It, it's, it's pretty simple. It's, you don't want to get out of bed in the morning. I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. I did not want to go to work. I dreaded it. Um, it's, I, I, I had nothing to look forward to in the future at the job. A lot of the reasons why I had taken the job had evaporated. Um, there were things that they had offered me when I took the job that were disappearing. And I could have looked for another role at the company, but I had been through enough roles at Amazon to start to see a pattern that the type of validation and reward I was seeking was A, not going to be offered to me for various reasons, like most, most likely because of my gender. B, that, that validation and that reward wasn't actually going to satisfy me. That was a pretty critical realization because I had to think to myself, what will I actually be doing if I get this promotion? And I looked at people who are actually doing that job and I thought, are they happy? Do they like what they're doing? And I looked at them and they're actually more stressed than I am and less happy than I am. Um, and, you know, I think working at those levels in Amazon takes a larger and larger percentage of your health and your soul. You're compensated for it, but it's, it's a pretty big sacrifice. Um, and I just didn't want to give up that much. And I thought, okay, well, if I don't want to seek this brass ring that I've been working for four years to get, which I don't actually think is real. What do I want? 
So like I liked that you said, like, so there's this brass ring that you've been working towards for four years, mm-hmm. but you're like, but I don't think that's really it. Yeah. Because first of all, you're like, I don't think I can get there because of my gender. Mm-hmm. And then I look at the people who are there and you're saying, they don't seem happy. They seem more stressed out than I am. Right. I don't want more. I want less. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you identified dissatisfaction in, in the, the future. The trajectory was gone. Yeah. So during the course of my four years in Amazon, I had dreamed, fantasized about a year-long sabbatical. I thought I would always go back. But I had said to people, well, I'm going to take my stock options and I'm going to take a year off and I'm going to do four things. <laughs> it's my list. I'm going to finish my book. I'm going to write a screenplay. I'm going to uh, start a clothing company. <laughs> and I'm going to make an app. <laughs> That's very par for the course for my overly ambitious nature. So I had, I had these four, four ideas and I thought, okay, well, I'm planning on, it's September. I'm planning on leaving my job at the start of the year. And I thought, okay, well, let's look at, start looking at the book. I'll start now. Why wait? So I started looking at the book and it was garbage. <laughs> the, the book that I, the draft that I had from 2016. And, and I thought, well, what if I just turned this book into a screenplay? <laughs> and so I started turning it into a screenplay and that's where everything lit up. I was writing on the weekends, 12 hours a day. Like, like that's all I wanted to do. I wake up at four in the morning and write the screenplay. I dove into it 100%. And I'm still working by the way. And I was flying back from Houston on a business trip, having been on this business trip, knowing I'm leaving this job, feeling kind of terrified to leave this job. And I'm on the plane and I'm all of a sudden I'm I'm watching this woman sit next to me, watch a movie I'd recommended to her. And she's laughing and crying and like snorting. And she looks over at me and gives me a thumb up, thumbs up. And I thought, I want to make, I want to write movies that make someone feel like that. How wonderful that would that be? And how much more, electric and alive do I feel than the current job I was just doing and then the fear went away it just felt like the path felt real the the path felt 100% real like this I have to leave this job it's not a maybe there's no there is no choice here And I think when you ask me, like, how do I know? How am I so self-assured? It's hard to explain. And I, I don't know if it, if the process is because of the writing and it's gradual built up over time, but in that moment, it felt, it felt God given. I don't know how to explain it. Like I, cause I, I was shaking and almost crying because all the questions were gone. All the what ifs were gone. Am I doing the right thing? It was just known. I I spent nine months writing screenplays. I wrote three screenplays. Some of them placed okay in competitions. I'm not brilliant at it yet, and I don't intend to stop anytime soon. But I have pivoted yet, yet again. And so this, this screenplay, before we talk about like this, the, <laughs> the big exclamation mark at the end of this conversation, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a new business that you've launched, I'm noticing a lot of um, uh, electricity in me, imagining you sitting beside this woman on the airplane, watching her emotional reactions to this movie you recommended, and getting that crystal clear hit of, wow, I want to write movies that make people feel that way. And I, and I believe you. 
Like I felt you, like I was right there with you. And I thought, I've had moments of clarity like that, where the knowing is 100% true. This is what I'm going to, this is my path. I am so there. Everything is laid out for me. The vision is just, there's no cracks in the cement. There's something around sustaining. Sustaining the vision, sustaining the confidence that I struggle with. Tell me more. Yeah, so lately it's much more personal, the work, the ideas. And I'm on fire about it. And then there's days where I wake up and I allow myself to get distracted by the shiny squirrel over here, over there. Oh, this other thing. Oh, there's an opportunity to volunteer. Oh, I can show up in this way. And I feel like it's distracting me from the reason why I'm here. But Sherry, does there have to be one reason? Is, is, does there have to be one? I mean, I get, I get what you're getting at. Yeah. I, I get that you crave or that you're admiring my focus and determination. I am. I am very much. Yeah. Yep. I get that. But I also want you to honor how much you do and how many people you make happy. And that by, by trying to like carve out too specific of a one thing, you're cutting out a lot of things that are meaningful. I think that you actually have an admirable capacity for things more than I could ever handle your energy and your time seems infinite to me from an outside perspective. And I think by criticizing yourself of like, of calling it a distraction, like it may be that you're just narrowing your focus too much and, broadening the definition of your purpose of that that definition that sentence broadening that could allow all of those things to fit into that picture thank you i'm noticing something that i admire in you that i'm not sure i have access to and i i think the word is persistence it's it's a dedication to your vision that allows you to follow through with more focus and less distractions. And to just reveal a little bit more about where I'm coming from, I get a big idea. Like right now, it's, it's all about pink noise. This isn't just a radio show. It's the name of a business. It's a cheerleading for hire practice. It's my way of showing up in the world to mine and shine the gold within. And that's really what I've been in the process of doing for myself. And it's also what I want to be here to do with others. And to put that into a business plan and to execute on that as my practice, as my full time, this is how I'm showing up in the world has been a real challenge for me. And this this next pivot that I, I have so much anticipation about that we're moving towards in this conversation about you and your career and what, what screenplay writing, like while it's going to continue, you've already launched a new business. <laughs> yeah. right? Like in the space of being a screenplay writer, you've launched a new business. And I, I'm so excited to talk about that. And so I hope I'm not jumping the gun here by by bringing it up, but it's that commitment to which I see you moving forward on it that I want a little piece of, you know, like I want to reveal that not only for me, but maybe for anyone else who has an idea and wants to show up in a certain way and doesn't know how to bring their full body, their full attention to it. And are we talking about the screenwriting or the read or rejoy? No, I think we're moving into rejoy, girl. <laughs> I wanna, I wanna shine no, a light. I want to be honest. It's only been August, September, October. It's been four months. So yeah. it's 
it's a baby. Um, baby. I get it. You're still, it's still incubating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and to be honest, I have my own insecurities about persistence, um, and patience. I even have a little ring that says patience on it because I have to remind myself constantly that the things, good things come with time. I, I do feel somewhat insecure about switching, uh, in August from, full-time screenwriting to full-time rejoy. And I made sure um, as this transition was happening from August to September to finish the screenplay I was working on. Uh, I wrote, I wrote one about my father uh, and his early life and I made a goal to finish it by September 15th and enter it in a contest. So it was complete and then I could dedicate my full attention to Rejoy. So, because I have, I have a very big insecurity about unfinished projects. Um, that was one of the things I discovered in the hundred days or more was like so many half finished craft art projects. Um, and, and how did you feel about that? It's terrible guilt. Hmm. Starting, starting things is so much fun. Finishing them is hard work. <laughs> And so it takes a commitment. It's that goal of like, cause you know, starting a screenplay is a blast too. You know, the first three days of mapping out the beats of story and coming up with your characters and you see all the best scenes. It's so fun. It's so great. And then you start writing and you write the best scenes and then there's a bunch of holes and you got to fill them all and you got to do all the work and all the editing and all the rewriting and get it to a place and then you've got to send it to someone and get feedback and take their feedback and work on it and polish it. And that's where the hard work is. There is nothing in life that doesn't come with hard work and stuff that maybe you don't like doing as much as the other stuff. <laughs> and so you have to make that commitment of, I will finish X by X. I will do these tedious, hard things so that I can get to these more fun things. Um, so yeah, so I finished that screenplay and I intend to go back and write more screenplays, but I said, okay, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna launch Rejoy. And Rejoy, I wouldn't have gone forward with it if I could ignore it. Uh, as we all were during the pandemic, I was taking daily walks and that's where I do a lot of my thinking. I walk the same path so I don't have to think about where I'm going and I go on autopilot and my head just spins and ideas just come to me and the screenplay ideas stopped coming and the rejoy ideas started coming. And a lot of it came from, again, the negative aspects of screenwriting, which is isolation and sedentary physical behavior. So when you're screenwriting, it's eight hours a day of sitting and typing and you're by yourself all the time. And there's a certain aspect of my personality and that doesn't do well in isolation. And so I was thinking to myself during these walks, what could I do that would be the opposite of that? <laughs> Back to those trends. And I thought about an experience that you and I had back in January when I helped you move out of your home and downsize. And what did I like about that experience? Well, I loved the physical aspect of it. I loved um, the, the physical hard work. I think it's a great workout to, to move people's stuff around. Um, I love clearing out the energy and seeing that transformation of static to clear and energized. Um, I loved hearing all your stories and interacting with you on everything. Every object has a story and some more than others. And seeing that emotional transformation of that was important to me once, but I'm ready to let it go was emotionally energizing. And then all the lessons I learned from you at the end, how impressive it was of the time and energy you took to 
be very intentional about where all those things were going and not just do a big goodwill dump. That sparked the sense that there was a problem that needed to be solved. Yeah. And, and when you say like how intentional I was about not wanting the stuff to just all get, you know, dumped off at a goodwill, mm-hmm. it was taking professional clothes that could be good for uh, women doing job interviews to an organization like Dress for Success mm-hmm. and going to the, um, the homeless camps and asking the, the managers and curators, what is it that, um, that your community is looking for right now and making a list of what their actual needs are to make sure that I'm not uh, donating anything that doesn't have a usefulness. I mean, that takes incredible amounts of time and energy. And, and I was so impressed. And I think that if I can provide that service for people, if they can trust enough that Rejoy is a company that will not only help them process what is the treasure in their home and what will define them going forward and what no longer serves them, but to take the things that no longer serve them and move them to new homes that are going to do people the best good and not simply generate profit or simply um, get thrown away Um, that, that they can know that rejoy will make those decisions on their behalf in the best possible way. And so you had this experience uh, helping me. I love hearing that that's, that sparked. And so I know that you made an offer into your community. Uh, oh, what, yeah. what, what happened with that? Like as a way to really move forward with this, with this business model. Yeah. So um, because of my years of experience in design um, and conversations that I had with someone um, around, you know, if I want to make an app, what's, what should I do? And they said, well, you need to talk to your customers and see if it's something they even want. And then I flipped that and I said, I also need to do this as a job and see if it's something I even want. Right. Before I go through the time and effort of branding and invest in a website and, and all this time and effort to build a company, I need to actually do the work on a regular, like, on a consistent basis to say, is this my day job? Is this going to make me happy? Because I've never been a professional organizer before. I've only done it for friends. So I went on the buy nothing group in my community and I offered four hours of free professional organizing quotes around the professional free organizing services to, uh, five people. And the response was pretty overwhelming. Like a lot of people were willing without a website or without any credentials or without any background checks, frankly, to allow me to, uh, or to even just, they, I started with the, the zoom call with each of them to make sure uh, they were comfortable with me, but they, they were all ready to let me come into their homes and, and organize with them. And, uh, Through those five interactions, I was able to determine not only what price I should charge for the services, uh, how long the services take, whether or not I liked it, what I liked and what I didn't like, like what things I should avoid, what problems might arise, but also what types of things that they responded to. what they need from the service. I mean, it was, it was way more than just like, like, or don't like there was, I got so much data out of the experience that then I was able to craft the business plan around that test. Um, that was just simply a gift to these people. And it feels crazy to just give away your time for free, right? I spent an entire 40 hour week working with these people but I wasn't tired at the end of it. I wasn't poor at the end of it. I, they all gifted me with something in return and not, not just knowledge, but something often physical. Like someone gave me aprons when I wanted aprons. Someone gave me a toolkit when I wanted a toolkit, like 
all these things that I'd like be like, oh, it'd be really fun to have this. Like they would just have it and offer it to me. Um, so there, it, all the signs pointed to this is right. This feels right. This is the right thing to do. I love it. Your offer of volunteering was not only market research for your business, but you were providing a gift to them. And then you even received physical gifts after. Indeed. And also they all provided me reviews and accolades and they're now ambassadors for my company. Um, they all sing my praises to all their friends. And so it's wonderful marketing. Plus, um, one of them is now my CFO. Wow. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. I made, I made a, I made a lifelong friend out of it. So Rejoy is now well underway and, and let's, let's talk about the, the values and the vision that you have for this new company. I had to think about why I was doing this and I want to be a part of the solution, not only helping people get out from under their clutter, free themselves to open themselves up to new opportunities, but to literally stop the flow of crap going into the landfills. People don't need to buy as much as they buy. And there's so many people in need. And if there's a way to connect those things, I want to, I want to help. Wow. Feels like a 180 from working for the biggest retail consumer product dis distributor of, of retail goods in the world <laughs> to helping reduce the amount of clutter in one's home and the amount of thrown away stuff that still has a life. Indeed. That's what, that's what I'm getting from you is this, the, the rebirth of the items. Indeed. Hence, I'm sure rejoy, right? You're, you're reusing an item that has purpose and use and therefore joy for another. Indeed. The word rejoy, it actually means to um, enjoy again in old English. So I, I believe these things can be enjoyed again. I believe they have their own life. And I believe it's somewhat selfish to keep them when you don't want them because someone else could be using them. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're basically holding these items hostage. You're keeping them in, in, in jail. And mm. I think if you look at this item and you think you could be living your best life somewhere else, who, who out there right now needs you? Um, and, and, and kind of having that practice in your daily life of like this, I bet somebody needs this right now. I just remodeled my bathroom, um, the last three days. And uh, I took the old mirror and the old sconce off. They're perfectly fine. They're just not the style I wanted anymore. I wanted something a little more dramatic. These were very straightforward. And I put them up on my local buy nothing group and they were gone within a day. So now they're gonna go be in someone else's bathroom. My friend Lisa has taught me a lot about the magic and the, and the power of regifting. And uh, of all my friends, she's someone that has used her Buy Nothing Now group to its maximum potential. Like I just watch her, you know, receiving something new and then getting rid of something. Like it's almost as if I imagine she has some kind of tracking system, you know, <laughs> that, that if you get a new pair of shoes, one goes out. If you get a new frock, one goes out. If you get a new, you know, set of two drinking glasses, two goes out. Like, and I, I aspire to that. Well, and I think I also that you can gently use things. Like you don't have to keep them until they're destroyed. Um, you know, the longer something sits in your closet, it is decaying. It is in the process of decaying if it's not being used, if it's not being cared for. And so it's, the sooner you realize it's not meant for you anymore, even if it, you've only used it for a week, even if it, you just bought it yesterday, if you can get it back out there into use, you're, it, it's, it will have more a useful life, right? Like if somebody is dusting something and taking care of it and using it and maintaining it, it will live longer than if it's shoved at the bottom of your drawer.
you know, I clean out closets and I find gorgeous shoes that have just been obliterated under the weight of other things. And if those shoes, if that person had realized they bought them six months later, they're like, meh, just, I have not, I'm just not going to wear these. And they pass them on to somebody. Those shoes might still be in use. Maybe loved, beloved by someone. Things deserve to be loved, right? And on the Amazon front, I do believe I am somewhat paying penance. <laughs> a little bit of atonement for my sins in a way. The buy nothing movement is wonderful. What I hope to do is to help people who are just so far behind, it's overwhelming. So I want Rejoy to be the kickstart, right? Because if you have been years behind and your house is cluttered, it can be way too overwhelming to do it all by yourself all at once, as, as you remember. Indeed. Um, not that your house was cluttered. It was just full. It was just full. And it was full of 17 years. Yes. Yeah. yeah worth of treasures. Um, and that process can be so overwhelming that you it's too difficult to do it correctly, right? Like people just don't have the time and energy to do it correctly or to do it with the most intention. And so by working with Rejoy, you could not only better identify the things that are going to serve you in your future life and enjoy that process because you don't have to do as much of the heavy lifting, but all the things then just suddenly are gone at the end of the day. And there's a scale that you've talked about that in helping more homeowners declutter their, their things, the things that they no longer are serving them that are no longer useful, imagine doing that to a dozen different homes in a week, every week of the month, and now you bring these things to a warehouse like you've talked about, and create relationships with charities who need certain kinds of things. Now they're coming to the Rejoy warehouse to shop for the things that they need as a charity. You get to make donations. Like the, the amplification of the good of this business model is so rock solid. Instead of it being a one-to-one -one on a one-item basis, it becomes... Uh, a much larger scale to where the power of the things together, that bulk, it's more efficient to give it to a charity that way. They might need, you know, a hundred coats for a particular season and we would have all the coats together instead of them having to do the collection. Right. Um, utens kitchen utensils. They might open a new housing development and need to fill it with kitchen utensils and we would have all of that and give it to all of them. I love it. I see values around um, reducing the, the footprint in the landfills like you talked about and the repurposing and recycling of items. And I mean, the list just goes on in terms of the values of what the mission. Have you written a mission statement? Has that happened yet? Uh, yes, it is. Our hope is that by helping others use and store only what they need, we can all live our best lives and create less waste. That I could create a whole brand around sustainability that's nationwide. That all that dream was built on something that upset me, you know, and, and being able to like take that and flip it on its head, I think is an important skill set that I've developed over the years. And I, for one, am sure glad she did. Because I am all about sustainability and people having less of what they don't need so others can have more of what they do. I hope you'll join me next week when I'll be making a ruckus with more individuals who have come alive doing exactly what they love. Until then... <laughs>